How you guys doing? This is Tim Nelson with Remax Classic and Real Estate Live. Today I'm with Andres with Andres Andres Degel Office and Practice. A little bit about Andres. He lives in Brewston. He's from Buffalo. He went to law school in Albany, and he was a major in the Army, Army Reserves, Iraq, East Afghan, and Africa is where he was deployed. He started his company in 2018 when he came back from Africa. Andres, would you like to tell a little bit about yourself? Sure, Tim. Tim, thank you for having me on your podcast today. I really appreciate the, the time and the effort that you put into this to help uh, people buying and selling homes and giving them the information that, that they need beforehand. It's really important. Um, by the time people come to us as the attorney um, uh, handling real estate transactions, and that's something that we do along with estate planning, elder law, um, those are really our three focus areas. So if you are in the need of uh, purchasing a home or you're thinking about selling your home um, or if you're dealing with your parents uh, estate uh, preparing for Medicaid planning or if you're thinking about your own wills or trusts and things like that um, you can reach us here we're right in the southeast the hub of the Hudson Valley at 684 and 84 our number is 845-940-1110 um, we'd be happy to help you um, so thank you for having me again thanks for coming on the show I mean we need to enlighten the world about different real estate practices because I've dealt with a lot of buyers and sellers who aren't exactly sure what's going on and what needs to happen. So, and that's why I brought you here today. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what field you primarily work in, residential, commercial, or just land? And so a lot of our stuff revolves around you know, uh, uh, with, the, with the estates, right? And, and uh, so we relatively have, um, we have a wing that does uh, real real property transactions, so mostly residential real estate transactions. Um, I'd say it's good sixty percent of our real estate transactions are associated with the prob probate um, uh, process and working through that process. And then you know and the remainder of that uh, portion is really worked on the buying and selling the homes uh, and working with realtors um, to buy and sell the homes. So it's really important to make sure that you do have your home prepared if you're thinking about selling the home. Uh, it's not like one day you're just going to call the realtor and say, hey, look, like I want to put my house on the market and then expect not to have hiccups later on during the process. Um, so initially, you know, some of that process that we talk about um, is, you know, anywhere from 30 to 60 days to sell a home, right, for a home exactly. transaction. Um, but um, the homes that are closer to that 30-day type of range, they have, the sellers have everything prepared ahead of time. Definitely. Um, and the properties that are going past that is what the real estate agents like to say. They're making sure you're on your toes, making sure everything is like, oh, this, this is going too smooth, something's gotta happen in those yeah. kind of situations. So, what do you recommend a seller do to prepare for the home, to prepare the home for sale? Um, I think the first the first step is really to find that competent real, that realtor uh, like yourself um, and making sure that that realtor is, is working with you side by side as a team identifying an attorney to work with um, and uh, and really set, setting what your goals are. Um, and then once you have those goals, um, identifying and listing out things that you've done with your property since you've owned it. Um, have you made major repairs to your property? Uh, were the, right, uh, the correct permits filed and applications filed? And then were the permits closed in the building department uh, after that work was completed? Um, if in, in the event that you didn't have a uh, building permit, um, would there would variances need uh, be required um, if you're approaching 
um, property lines, or you know, depending upon the situation and scope of the project that was completed. Um, and then also looking for encroachments. Um, are there portions of your property that maybe your neighbors have taken over or built something on, um, or um, easements? Are, are there um, issues with uh, utilities running lines through your property, or maybe um, a landlocked property behind you where there's a right of access for a, a driveway easement over your property? Um, those are all things to think about and identify those things. So I think that's one step. The other step also is just some of the common sense stuff. Like who worked on your house throughout the time that you owned it? What, who's your plumber? Who's your oil tank guy? Um, who's your septic guy if you have septic? Who's your electrician that you used? Who's the handyman that did your landscaping or cleaned your gutters or fixed up your home? Having a list of, of those people um, what really helps the realtor uh, in the sale process because um, when, the, when you're looking for buyers to be able to hand that over, and that's something we want our clients, you know, as a, when we represent buyers, we want to obtain that information for our clients um, so that they know um, what's, um, who to call if something goes wrong. And generally having that seamless transition um, further bolsters you as a seller um, when you're coming to the negotiating table because it demonstrates to your uh, buyer that you've actually have care for your home and you've taken extra steps for your home and sometimes they'll be willing to pay more money for your home. Exactly and then most people don't realize that the real estate agents we're not experts in everything that goes along in the house we're just trying to make sure nothing goes wrong throughout the transaction and from that point on in addition, if you have everyone who's who worked on your septic, who worked on your oil tank, or anything along those lines, it helps guide the transaction to make it as smooth as possible so that the buyer can call up them and say, what's the deal with this? Is this still in working condition? And so on and so on to make, again, the transaction as smooth as possible. Now you said a couple things, variances, encroachments, and easements. Do you mind going over what a variance is exactly? Um, sure. I just sorry about the cell phone. So my so today's a big day for us for our sports with the kids and stuff. I, I raise um, I'm a local resident, um, and my uh, my young kids that are involved in sports and um, sometimes it's a hassle um, getting them to different things and 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 getting um, um, the uh, the um, connection between my wife and I. And I'm sure you guys go through the same thing. <laughs> Um, so it's just sometimes having that commonality is, is you important. You got to juggle a lot of hats. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, but a variance, so just to bring back to the topic, so variance is really thinking about, like, a lot of people run into variances, and I see this sitting on the uh, on one of the zoning boards, one of the local zoning boards in one of our local towns, right? Um, is that um, the um, a lot of people run into this with fencing, believe it or not, or sheds. Right? So everyone thinks, hey, I'm going to go Home Depot, I'm going to put a shed up, and, you know, and, and, it's, and, and I think some of the real estate transactions that we deal with, and we deal with, on average, again, it's one-third of what we do, but on average, we do, I mean, our volume is between 80 and about 110, 120 transactions a year, and that's been our, for the past four years that we've been in business, that's, that's the, on average what we, what we do. Um, but the, I want to say, like, that, that shed, putting that shed up. If your shed is so close to your property line, um, that's gonna be an issue when you go to sell your property. Worst case scenario, you take the shed down, right? Some sheds you don't need building permits for, some you do, right? It's whether or not it's a temporary structure or a permanent structure. 
Um, the other thing is fencing. Some people think about fencing and they're like, oh, I'm going to put a fence up in my front yard. And they want a six-foot fence in the front yard because they want privacy. Well, you can't have a six-foot six fence in your front yard. Right. You can have a three-foot fence in your front yard. Um, so a variance would be someone seeking to have that six-foot fence rather than a three-foot fence. And there are different rules that we have to go through. Or, um, uh, it's a set of standards that's applied as to whether or not a board will would uh, grant a variance. Um, some of them are whether or not it's detrimental to the neighborhood, um, whether or not it was self-created. So if it's an issue that you created yourself, you might not get a variance for that. And so um, that's why sometimes it's, or not sometimes, but really it's more, it streamlines the real estate transaction process if these issues are addressed ahead of time. And look like, your realtor doesn't know everything that you did on the property. The buyer doesn't know everything that you did on the property. You only know what you did on the property. You don't even know what the previous people did on the property, right? So all that's key when you have your title report done. So the title report um, is gonna bring all this out. So um, in the event that you don't tell your realtor that you put a shed up, um, or you don't tell your realtor that you remodel the basement, and your realtor put list your property with a finished basement and, the, and you don't have a certificate of occupancy for that that's gonna that's gonna catch up to you with the um, with the um, title report when the title company goes to the municipality and says hey mr. building department did John Smith create or have a does he have a certificate of occupancy for that third bathroom or that fourth bedroom and and the, and the in this in this home um, and that's when the that's where really when the chickens come home to roost, you know. So I mean, oh, yeah. and and it delays that process because then we have to go out and we have to um, the attorney. Um, then now your attorney's fees are going to be more. Your um, because we're spending more time on resolving these title issues, um, and then also you're at the mercy of the building inspector. If you did like a electric work in your home without having a permit for it. Um, and the building inspector wants you to tear down drywall to see what the um, what you did. Um, guess what? You're tearing drywall down to see what you did. So, um, otherwise, you're not going to sell your home. So. Exactly, and everything you just said, you're prolonging it further and further. So, if you want your transaction to be as quick as possible, you got to make sure everything is permitted, everything looks good, and mm. in that case, you'll be selling your home in no time. Now. Let's go back to encroachments. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. So, so an encroachment is something that um, it's less common uh, than an easement, um, and but it's it's a different um, it, it's it's a different circumstance. So, really, an encroachment is let's say you have um, uh, a neighbor that put a fence up on your property and it goes on your side of the property line and not his side of the property line. Or another example is. A neighbor puts a shed up and that shed is one foot or two feet onto your property line right um, that's a common one that we see in neighborhoods that don't have fencing right, right. Um, or they plan um, a garden that's on your property um, and not on their property um, so if they openly and notoriously possess that for a period of seven years um, now they can uh, seek they can seek ownership of that property right through um, adverse possession right so um, you want to avoid that, right? And the only way to avoid that is to make sure that you have a survey for your home. So surveys, surveys, everyone thinks surveys and they say, oh my God, a survey is going to cost me more money. How do I save money? Well, 
Um, you know, it all kind of comes down to that thing. You know, when I was a kid, I raised on certain principles, right? Like, um, you know, um, honor, integrity, um, and 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 thinking about having the um, uh, what can you do to prepare and being thorough, right? So, and we always hear these old phrases from our grandparents, right? A penny wise and a pound foolish was one of them, and and I, I will always remember that phrase um, because it's it's almost like putting off tomorrow what you can do today it kind of comes back to bite you in the butt um, so it's it's having that survey to know where your property line is uh, is important and it's important so that when you care for your property you cut your grass or someone cuts your grass and you walk your walk your property um, you can see if someone's actually encroaching on it so you want to take steps to right away to prevent that from happening if you do see someone encroaching on your property call us or another real property attorney um, and we can work on uh, resolving that, okay? How do you go about selling a property if it already has an encroachment on it? Well, so the issue always with proper, with real estate transactions becomes who controls the purse strings, right? I mean, that's, that's really what it is. So, um, you know, you can have a contract, you can do everything that you want to do to sell a property, you have the buyer lined up. If their bank is not giving them a mortgage to buy the property, um, granted, you do have cash transactions every now and then, but the majority of home sales and home transactions in America are related to a mortgage. And so um, the mortgage company is, when they do an inspection for the property um, and they receive that title report um, and then they demand a survey and they see that there is an encroachment on the property, that encroachment needs to be resolved before um, that bank will release funds uh, for that home because they're not going to have their... Um, their interest, right? God forbid something happens and the, the people foreclose or can't make payments for whatever reason, um, the bank is gonna ensure that they're gonna get their money out of that transaction, right? Um, and um, so um, they just want they just won't fund it. And so that is something that's gonna need to be resolved. That's why it's important to get ahead of it and have it resolved immediately rather than having it try to have it resolved later. Um, if it does, if it is something that someone's taking your property by adverse possession and does, um, that could decrease your home value and the and what you're going to obtain for your home. Um, it kind of it's almost like um, easements, right? So you think about easements, right? And and just to kind of branch into another topic, but in in Putnam, sometimes we see uh, shared driveways, and it's something that kind of related back to the way that this area was developed, right? Um, because originally, you know, it was a, a lot of summer properties where people from the city would come up here and they, yeah. you know, family would buy a property and they'd have a, a shed on one parcel, then Aunt Jane and Uncle John would, you know, and everyone would have like their little home up here for the weekend, right? Exactly. Um, well, it kind of turned into a nightmare when they started selling them all off. And now we have people that have shared driveways. Um, and you know what? Coming from the when I worked in the Bronx DA's office up to here, right, in Putnam DA's office, I thought I was coming to this really quaint town that I lived in already for a couple of years, and I was like, this is gonna be great. And most, and I would, couldn't believe the number of complaints about shared driveways and how uh, neighbors just couldn't get along over these shared driveways. So I think it comes down to another kind of like phrase we grew up with, or value system we grew up, caveat emptor, buyer beware. So. Um, when you're thinking about shared driveways and you're thinking about um, easements, um, it's really important to know who your neighbors are and, um, and because when you go to sell that property, um, sometimes buyers are going to be reluctant to purchase a home um, with a uh, shared driveway. And um, 
Um, you know, I'll use an example of one of my friends actually even has a shared driveway. And so he has, um, he has a shared driveway that has a, um, a lot of potholes and he's always out there trying to fix it, right? And, um, um, and he had it on board to have, he facilitated um, the other two families to kind of come together to, to pitch in to fix the shared driveway. Um, but then there was a holdout. And that one holdout said, why should I pay to fix the driveway when I know you guys really want the driveway fixed, so you're just gonna pay for it, and I'm just gonna benefit from that. So, so when you think about easements, it's also thinking about what, how the easement is written and how cost sharing goes into that easement for maintenance, um, and then how you deal with that holdout and whether or not there's a provision in that easement to address that. So in essence, you want a provision in that easement to ensure that one party holding out isn't going to then be able to benefit uh, from your your hard work and your labor and your money to fix that or maintain that driveway. Um, so that's really important that you have an attorney who's competent and can understand that area of the law um, and uh, and approach that from a, uh, from a, when you're negotiating the easement, um, after the easement's been in place, um, you know, it will take different a different level of negotiating, um, but know that when you sell a home or you purchase a home with a shared driveway, um, that should all be factored into the price that you're paying for the home. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if I'm selling a property that has an easement on it, does it automatically pass over to the next owner, or how does that work? So it's really, again, it kind of comes down to what's written in the easement itself, okay. but generally speaking, generally the easements will be will be attached to the property and passed. Um, but again, it's in a fine print, and that's why you really need an attorney to look at the fine print and uh, advise you as to how that easement uh, impacts your ownership of the property. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, depending on the contract, the seller can do, I mean, the new buyer can do whatever really he wants with it, correct? In terms of throw it, not go through with the easement or do something else. Well, I think it's everything's like situationally dependent, yeah. right? So, um, so it's case specific on the actual property itself that you're purchasing. Um, you know, I just used the one example of this of the shared driveway. Well, if you have an access point on that property that you can, you know, not use that shared driveway or or, or, um, or use a, a different access point to create a new driveway, that's all based upon your engineering, your grade. Uh, the type of property that it is, the soil samples, yeah. you know, all that stuff that kind of gets into the planning board issues. Um, so I think that um, as a buyer, right, so as a buyer, I think some of the things to um, to kind of look for is um, um, to make sure that you are working with the, the right realtor, um, someone like Tim who uh, pays attention to detail and really listens to you and understands what you're looking for. Um, to find you um, something that suits your needs and, and understand that look like with the easement itself Tim there might be situations where the easement might actually benefit people and might work for people um, uh, because you might be they might be able to get into a home with a better price point and everyone does get along and it does have the right language the legal language written into there um, but it's just something that does need that extra attention um, that you really need to um, account for and make sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Oh yeah, like there's this property over in Putnam County. It's a beautiful 4,000 square foot property, but it shares the same driveway with a gas station and everyone doesn't like it because it shares a driveway mm -hmm. and it's about a quarter mile. The driveway is a long 
quarter mile driveway, but it shares it with the gas station, which is a big problem for a lot of people. So hence why yeah. it's been sitting on the market. Mm -hmm. So let's go change topics a little bit to septic and well. Can the owner be liable if there's either system is found to be faulty after the sale? So af after the sale, um, so so that's also what's written into the contract, okay. right? So what we want to do as attorneys, we want to make sure that um, that we try to um, address these issues in the rider to the contract. So you think we use um, in New York State, uh, the New York State Bar Association does have standard form real estate contracts that we use as part of the real property law section. Um, but then we do amendments to that through our riders, a seller's rider or purchaser's rider. Um, and generally what we want to do is we want to make sure that um, we're addressing issues so they don't survive closing, right? So liabilities don't survive closing. One thing that you really want to focus on is that pre, uh, the uh, property condition disclosure credit um, to pass on, uh, which is a $500 credit that you would provide to the buyer. Um, therefore, you're not warranting anything with the home purchase, right, and the disclosures right. um, that are given there. Um, but when it comes to well and septic, there are certain things that um, need to be done uh, prior to uh, that purchase. Um, now, there's think about two different types of transactions, an as-is transaction versus a, um, a standard transaction, right? So the as-is transaction, the, the, set, the buyer's already taking it at a reduced price. Um, because uh, the property can, the property they're taking in the condition as is, meaning it's, it's implied that they're going to have to complete repairs, right? right? It's almost like they're getting into a fixer upper, right? Um, but in turn, they're taking at a reduced cost. Um, therefore, um, you know, we can factor things in that aren't going to survive um, closing. But um, when you're talking about a standard um, purchase and you're talking about a lender being involved, um, there are certain things with your septic, right? So let's let's break them down to in two distinct things, right? So during your inspection report, uh, you're going to want to have a septic inspection completed as the buyer, right? And as the seller, um, you do have an obligation to have your septic, uh, um, um, depending upon the town, you do have an obligation to have your septic emptied and inspected in that inspection report filed with the town every five years on average, right? Um, so to, to so so that's a requirement that happens. Does everyone do that? Um, Tim, you can answer that one, right? It so, gets thrown in the air. Some yeah. some do, some not so much. But yeah. a lot of people don't realize the importance of getting the septic inspection. Like I've had buyers tell me, "Oh, it's a waste of money. You don't need to do that." I said, "This property over here didn't close on the property because the septic." failed the inspection because they didn't touch it in, yeah. since the 30s, honestly. And that was a big problem. If they moved in, they would have had to, to pay a lot more money than they would have bought the property for. Yeah. And your, your septic systems, and the thing that people don't understand about septic systems is that um, the maintenance of it, it, it only costs you a couple hundred dollars every couple of years to, to clean it out. It's not very expensive compared to the twenty to $30,000 that it can cost you to uh, have to replace that entire septic system, which, you know, and part of the issues with development in, in our county relate to having that additional space, that 100% space to expand the septic if the septic fails, right? So um, so maintaining that septic system is more important than ever um, because it's going to reduce your, your overall costs um, and it's going to make sure that you have a record 
when you go to sell the home that these that these cleanings were done and that the system is in good working order, um, thus giving you the best um, the best fair market value for your home as a seller, maximizing your rate of return. Now, um, when we think about the so that's one part of it, the septic, right? right. The um, the next part of it, the well, right? So wells. Um, you know, it's funny that we're 52 miles north of Yankee Stadium, right? And we're on septic, we're on well, um, propane sometimes for your cooking and oil for your heating, right? So, um, who would have thought, right? It's almost like we're in the North Country. But we're, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, we're a train ride or uh, an hour and a half riding into the city, you know? So, um, so with wells, right? So, wells, um, most of our water up here is, is on a well, right? So, um, that's why it's important to kind of come back to that whole list that we talked about at the beginning. Who's your plumber? Who's your oil guy? Who's your electrician? Who are these people, right? Um, because they know when the last time the well was replaced. They know the last time you, cha you um, changed the, the, the storage tanks for your well. The last time that you did your UV light or changed out the light bulb in your UV light if you have one, a UV filter, um, or if you even need one. So like a lot of times people, they don't, they don't need it, and so it's not there. And so when you have something, let's say a home goes vacant, and we see this in the, because a lot of our stuff deals with probates, where someone dies, the home's vacant for several months before we have the authorization to sell it. So these homes, they could be vacant for six months at a time. Well, what happens to well water over six months? When it goes, when you have it tested, Right, and this is something that the that the buyer is going to do during the inspection is have the water tested. Right. You usually see what you see, chloroform, right? Yeah. And, and the water, and it's not that it's, it's not that it's dangerous in the sense that oh my god, now this we need a new well or we need to have a, a UV light installed um, to um, for a filter or a different filter system installed. It's just the fact that there's bacteria that built up because there's. No one's been using it, and so if we do what's called a, a well shock, which is substantially cheaper than the um, than putting in a, a new UV system uh, or a different type of filter system, because it might not be necessary. So, I think the the thing about wells that that people need to realize is that um, it comes from the ground. It's probably the cleanest water you're going to find, or some of the cleanest water you're going to find, because it comes naturally from the ground. Um, but it's that maintenance record. So, like your well pump. Right. So one thing that people need to think about with wells or buyers should think about with wells um, and sellers should know um, so that they can you know, tell the buyer what the difference is, um, is how deep is your well. So some wells, shallow wells are you know, different than deeper wells where um, I have friends who have shallow wells and it's weird because in the summertime they have an issue with um, watering their gardens um, and we have a deeper well and so, um, not that we drilled it, but it's just that's the well, the, was yeah. the well that was there with the home that we purchased. And um, we never run out of water. And we live right down the street from them. And, and so it's, it's kind of strange in that, uh, in that you have these conversations, but these are all things that you can use as a seller to show um, um, what's called, how you maintain your home, why your home's more advantageous than the neighbor's home. And why you should the buyer should be paying you more money for your home? Um, exactly. The yeah. bottom line would be, make sure you have all the records on anything. If you have an in-ground oil tank, if you have where exactly it is, the position, and all that kind of stuff, where the septic is, where the well is, and 
the best records to have for whatever needs to be done for the property, when you redid the basement, when you did this, and that way that transaction again will be as smoothly as possible and when you close the permits, of course. And the last question I have is, what kind of disclosures do you recommend? What's the most important ones? As far as the disclosures? As, as far as the disclosures to have for the seller, what do you recommend? Well, so look, there's certain um, legal requirements that you have, um, you know, for disclosures. Lead based paint is one of them. That's yeah. you know pretty standard. Any home that was built before what 1976, 1978, um, you have to do a lead paint disclosure form because there could have been lead paint in the home. Um, that's really not going to affect your price. It's really a mandatory requirement that you um, uh, disclose if if you know. Most people don't even know, so we give them a lead paint disclosure uh, pamphlet. Uh, or and we provide that to the buyers. Um, your property condition disclosure credit is the thing that you definitely want to give is that $500 credit to the buyer so that you don't have to do the, fill out the complete property condition disclosure statement. Um, and then um, generally the things that we kind of talked about are things that you, as a seller, you want to disclose the things that are gonna, that are gonna bolster your position um, in the negotiating room. Um, and leading to contracts so you can maximize your profit on your home, right? It's your investment. It's something that you've worked hard for uh, to save your money and to purchase. And it's something that it's going to be hard to let go because you spent time as a family there. You know, you spent your memories there. And now you're transitioning into a new home, maybe for a sale. Um, and um, so all the stuff that you put into that, all the... Um, all the sweat and all the tears and, and all the memories, um, you want to have your best uh, return on investment. And having that best return on investment is to kind of being upfront with uh, things, you know, making sure that you do have that pamphlet there, that uh, record of all the people that work on your home, um, ensuring that, the, um, that there's a good maintenance record um, for your home. And, um, and that's something that you would want to disclose because that's bolstering your position to show that you take care of your home and that you know there's consistency um, with that. Um, so when it comes to the septic, there's you know the buyer, there's no issues and the buyer understands what they're purchasing. When it comes to the well, there's a record of the last time that the pump was changed out or um, you know if their pump hasn't been changed out, then there's no record of it, but there's a maintenance record to show um, what's what's been done and that you've taken care of that. Um, as far as the um, easements or anything like that, if there are no easements, there are no easements, but having a survey, having a survey when you go to sell your property um, really shows that um, you understand what you have and it, and it shows that you um, know what you're selling. And, and so when, the, when you come to that negotiating table with your realtor um, and the other party, um, that you can really maximize what you're um, what you're getting for your for your for your investment, and um, I think that's really important. All right, and you just got to make sure it's an updated survey. I've had a couple mm -hmm. properties where the survey was when they bought the house 30, 40 years ago, and that wasn't a good situation to be in. But on that note, I want to thank Andres for being on the show. And again, this is Andres with the Law Office of Andres de Gil. And next week we're going to have a Portugal real estate agent on. Thank you, and forward to the internet. All right.